You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Doug C. Brown, and C stands for charming. So he just told me that, so I figured I'd share. He's a highly acclaimed sales revenue growth expert, an international bestselling author, and he has coached, consulted, and advised thousands of people in business, as well as companies, including Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, Intuit, Procter & Gamble, CBS Television, and the list goes on. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So for those of you that don't have the benefit of catching this on video, not only do we have the same last name, but we have the same hairstyle. So, you know, we had a great pre-interview conversation. You know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, as well as the fact that we both live in very cold, snow-ridden places, Doug being in New Hampshire and me being in Buffalo, New York. So we've got a lot in common. So it should make for an interesting conversation. But today we're here to talk about three things that you must get right in order to scale your business. So Doug is a revenue growth expert, right? That's what he focuses in on. It's more than just sales. There's a lot of different components to this. So he's going to break that down for us. But before he does that, do us a favor, give us a little bit more extended intro, kind of how'd you get take this path? How did you get to where you are today? And then uh, we'll get started. Well, it, it actually started by accident because when I finished college, I had degrees in the medical field. And when I came out of college, I was in the military for over 12 years. When I came out of college, I then went to look for a job in the medical field and I couldn't find one, quite frankly. It's crazy. I mean, I had a degree in you know, biology, a degree in nuclear medicine. And you know, it was during when the healthcare uh, scare was going on where you know, just you couldn't find a job. So I decided I would go back into what I was doing prior to, which was sales. And I was selling music equipment to some of the biggest bands out, out there. You know, I was working with all these big bands, Aerosmith and Boston and Extreme, and I was having a great time. But then I realized, hey, you know what? I'm getting better leverage from selling than I would for being in the hospital. And so I went on to get a different sales job. And that led me to start talking with coaching and training companies. And the first one I landed with was a man named Jay Levinson, Jay Conrad Levinson. He wrote a book series called The Guerrilla Marketing Series. And so Jay introduced me to a man named Chet Holmes. And I started coaching for these people. And then what ended up happening is because I knew how to sell, I was applying that to the B2B coaching we were doing. And that started sparking this revenue growth off because I quickly became their number one coach. And then I became their over time, I became the president of training and sales. And then Tony Robbins bought in on the company. So I became Tony's you know, president of training and sales. 
And so I started working with hundreds of companies at that time and then, then thousands. And so they all needed to grow because we were, our tagline was double your sales. So I started looking at that. And then I looked at the nuances in between what we were teaching and the, the metrics in between. That's how it all started kicking off. And you know, ever since then, that's what I've been doing. So that's been almost 18 years now. So when did you break out on your own? I was always an independent. So about 18 years ago, I left the corporate world and I started as an independent. So when I, when I did work for Jay, it was 1099. When I did it for Chet, it was all 1099, Tony, the whole bit. And, you know, and I was taking my own clients during that period of time as well. So now for about 18 years. Gotcha. Excellent. Okay, great. All right. So tell me a little bit about your business, right? So break that down for us. I know that you made a, an interesting distinction between just sales training and coaching and revenue growth, which is what's much more what you specialize in. Give us a little insight, little look into how you work with some companies and maybe, you know, an example of one of those companies that you were able to help see significant growth. Yeah. So what I do is I look at the company holistically because sales is the, the let's just be straightforward. Without sales, you don't have a business. It's that simple. So not only do you have to sales though, what I do is I help you have more profitable sales because a lot of times what ends up happening with companies is they will, they'll just be selling, but they're not watching the metrics, the, the ratios, the optimization points within. So, you know, they might have a profitability, let's say of 22%. Then I come in and I take a look at this and the revenue goes up, but the profitability will go up another five, 10 points. So what I do is I look at the company first and then we take and get very honest on where are they and where do they want to go? Because the, what I have discovered is that it, most of the stress from people in companies comes from lack of clear goals, right? The lack of clarity. And then the second part of the stress is living in ambiguity. They don't, they're not really good at that as well. So we look at that. The distinction between sales training and revenue growth is revenue growth is looking specifically at all the facets along the customer journey to be able to optimize and expand upon, where sales is one of those components. So many times I end up doing sales training with the company as well, or their, their, their people, or their managers, because the managers don't know how to train their people per se. They don't know how to coach. They know how to manage the numbers. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. All right. Because I mean, because it's really interesting because, you know, you hear a lot about sales training, but th that has a tendency to be a little bit more tactical. And I think what you're doing is a little bit more strategic or has a much bigger strategic component, right? It very much is. And one of the things that I do within companies, even if we're getting tactical, we stay strategic. So what we do is we put in strategic outcomes and strategic outcomes for those who don't know is you have an, uh, an idea of what you want as an outcome, but then what are the three or four other outcomes that you want if that one doesn't work? Or if that does work, what are the other two or three that you do want to work? And so what we end up doing is gaining leverage in everything that we do throughout the sales process. So that salesperson now walks away you know, with expanding the sale and they, they walk away with you know, referrals, they walk away with additional business down the line and you know, follow up in goodwill. So it's, you're getting a much bigger return for the same effort that you're doing. Got it. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, thanks for expanding on that. Well, today, Doug, you're here to talk about the three things that you must get right in order to scale your business. And I know in the pre-interview, you kind of summarized those for me. So I'm excited to dig in, take it away, and then we'll see how far we can get. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's a process. First thing you got to do is you got to get your process right. You got to get your people right. 
and you got to work on the skills within the company. And if you had to pick an order, it would be process, skills, and people, but it depends again on where you are at. (laughs) So the reason you start with process first is because once you begin with a process, in most companies, they don't have, when it comes to sales, for example, they don't have a well-defined sales process. And you know, it doesn't mean you can't grow without one. You know, there's many companies that have grown to tens of millions of dollars and they still have a very sloppy sales process. But when you have a tightly defined one, you can measure everything within that sales process. And if you measure things from, you know, hey, we got a lead in to a first contact to the first appointment, let's just take those, you know, two ratios, right? You can measure what's going on and it will tell you a story. If you get lots of leads and you can't get the first, contact happening. Now you have to look, must look at the, the qualification of what kind of leads do you, do you just have leads or do you have qualified leads, right? If you look from the first contact to the first appointment and that ratio, let's say is way lower than you want it to be. Well, now you might have to go to skills training to actually upgrade what people are saying and making it consistent. The challenge, Dennis, is a lot of times companies, you know, if they're, let's say under five or even 10 million, they, they may only have, you know, a sales team of two, three, four people at that point, but they haven't put the process in to follow. So they don't, they can't measure that. And so what ends up happening is they're relying upon individual skills to do that. And as they rely upon these individual skills, you know, one guy's, you know, at the top of the heat, one person, you know, is at the bottom and two are in the middle. So they don't know really how to benchmark. They look at the person at the top, whether it's a she or he, and they go, well, geez, you should be more like them, but there's no process to help them get there. So once we can take that and put that into a, let's just call it a, a Starbucks or a McDonald's formula, right? Where you get that, you know, same hamburger, same amount of fries, you know, same consistency all the way through, then you can measure the quality points. And around the people, the people- Well, before we dive into that, one thing, because you brought yes, up an sir. interesting point. So I just want to expand on that really quick. You know, you were talking about the process. Yeah, I've seen a lot of companies, startups in particular, that will, again, they'll grow- even though they don't have well-defined processes. But what happens is they eventually plateau. And in a lot of cases, what ends up happening is they start to contract after that, right? And I think one of the big issues, like you said, is not having, even if you have a loosely defined process, which is probably what most companies, startups think they have, they're not measuring, right? They're not measuring. They're not actually tracking the different stages like you just talked about. You talked about you have a certain amount of leads coming in, you have a certain amount of first appointments, and then you have the follow-ups, and then you have the number of deals. I mean, tracking those things, that in itself would probably be a windfall if most companies did that. Do you agree? Absolutely agree. And you know, it's a windfall in two ways. Number one, you you have the ability to correct the path. And number two, you have the ability to correct the path which leads to higher profitability because a lot of times I think you and I were discussing this before. I had a particular client, you know, they were sliding and they they were 48 million when I got there. They were 50 million six weeks prior to me getting there. And one of the things when I found in the assessment of the of the process was that their ratio, they were generating thousands of leads and they had a sales team of almost 100 people. And what I found was that 62% of the leads that were coming in were never making it to the first stage that they wanted him to go to, the first contact. And so when I approached the owner and I said, look, I got to tell you this, uh, he said to me, your numbers are wrong. You're crazy. There's no way this is it. So I, I ran all the numbers. I gave him all the numbers. And after he agreed that this could be true, 
then I went back and we started putting in some process on and around making sure it's accountable that people are getting into their first appointment. We tied revenue that was paid in sales commissions to these people. And so miraculously, what came up, you know, because, you know, what you measure, people respect. (laughs) Miraculously, in the first two weeks, 50% of the leads out of that 62% were now being contacted. And so it got a little better on the ratio over time. Some of the leads were just not, you know, contactable, but most of them were. And the bottom line is that company grew from 48 million to 110 million in the next two years. Love it. That's perfect. That's a perfect example. And that's kind of what I wanted you to highlight is that example of measuring. And I think if people, you know, there's a lot of different components to this, but I think that's a a really important ingredient that startups and young companies, that's a good starting point in a lot of cases where they're at today. And obviously there's a lot of other things. So why don't we move on and talk about the other two components? You were mentioning people. I think that's always an important one. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we're talking a startup, I mean, basically a company, sometimes they just need to fill bodies, right? or they're starting to grow. They just need to fill bodies. But what they're not looking at is the overall, I'll call it the customer journey. Because you know, in sales, we talk about customer journey all the time. It's like, oh, what's the customer going to experience? But the reality is, is what type of experience do you want your customers to have? The people coming through, the people will directly influence what that customer journey is. And so what people don't look at many times when hiring people, and I'll kind of lean towards salespeople at this point, is they don't look at the representation of the individuals of how they're going to interact in this customer journey as part of the hiring process. And so what ends up happening is you'll get somebody who might have very good skill sets in a certain way, not to pick on like IT or anything, but you know, whatever place it might be. And they don't have the, let's just call it the bedside acumen to actually handle the client interactions. So that ends up costing companies money or they'll hire in somebody who you know, has, they'll look at a resume and they'll say, oh, just, this is great. This person can do this. They'll bring them in, but they're kind of a maverick and they come in and they start wreaking havoc within the rest of the personnel within the company. And all of a sudden productivity drops and the desire to actually sell. Who gets the end result of that? The client, right? So now the client is like, man, your company's not that good. And now they're telling other people. So this can be this whole escalating thing. So again, assessing the people for you know, not only their skill sets, but assessing them for the right fit, assessing them for the ability to, if you need them to wear, say, multiple hats or fit into the culture of the company. It's very, very important to have that happen. How do you do those assessments? Do you, I'm, because I know there's a, a million different assessment tools out there. Is that something that you leverage those types of assessment tools? And if so, which ones for salespeople in particular? I do. Now, the the key with assessments, what people don't realize is there are, as you said, there's thousands of them out there, right? So the question then becomes, when you're looking at this part of the people, what do you want to assess, right? So there are, there are specific assessments, for example, for personality, right? There are specific assessments to measure, do they have the will to sell? Do they have, in the in case of sales specific, they a farmer or a hunter? What is their sales DNA? Because you're not going to change that sales DNA. I think, Dennis, you and I were talking about sometimes companies do this. They many times make this mistake where they have a top producing salesperson who's this great hunter. They put him out, in the, he or she out in the field and they blaze a trail. And then to reward that person, they promote them to sales manager. And now they pull them inside, give them charts and graphs and say, fill out these you know, Excel spreadsheets and these reports. And the person is miserable <laughs> 
And the person's not really a manager. They are a hunter. But so when you use specific things, you can measure, are they a manager profile? Are they a hunter? Are they geared, you know, do we want this type of personality? You know, so personality tests could be like, you know, a disc. People are so used to that particular one. And, you know, Myers-Briggs, different things like that. But if you look at websites, when you're looking for a specific assessment, like I like to use one called OMG for sales. And when you look at the websites specifically on certain assessments, they'll actually put in the small print, this is not for sales, but people will grab a disc and they'll throw it in for sales. And, you know, disc is great if you want to train a sales team on how to sell to, you know, dominant personalities or different things like that. But it's not really a good indicator whether somebody will be successful in sales. Perfect. Okay, great. So let's talk about the last one. What was the last one again? Skills. All right, let's go there. So if you get the right process, sales will go up because it's measurable, accountable, and you can tweak it. And if everybody's following the right process, you're going to see uniformity going through your sales component, the whole customer journey, operations, everything. So if you have the right people in there, obviously, you have a better client experience and a better working experience throughout the day. Then you must work on skills, training throughout the life of the employee. So one of the mistakes that companies make a lot of times is they do not have standardized training going on at a consistent time every single week. That is, everybody should know what the next week's training topic should be, and they should be prepared for the training to come in. They come in, you do the training, and then you have an accountable system to make them take action. Because if they don't take action on training, a little bit will sink in. So they get a little bit better. But when you have them take action and you have the accountability on the action side and the accountability on them preparing on the front end, and this is consistent every single week. And by the way, I'm not talking a lot of time, Dennis. I'm talking maybe an hour a week that you're training people. Magical things happen in companies at that point. So what areas? I mean, obviously, sales is one of those areas that's well-known. You know, Successful companies are well-known for investing in ongoing and regular training. Beyond sales, what other areas of revenue growth do you, would this make sense? I mean, I'm just trying to understand, is customer service? Is it marketing? Is it, you know, ops? Where? Yeah. And all of the above, right? But let's take customer service, for example, because a lot of people, when they have a customer service department, they think of them as kind of a, well, they're doing their job to sort of keep people sticking or, or whatever it might be. You know, they are going to answer questions. You know, we're going to dump all of of the post sale stuff onto the customer service department. Everyone in a company should in some way be directly involved in the sales process. So customer service, what I did, what I did with a, one of my clients, actually, they grew, they started out, uh, they were about three and a half million, then they went to six million, and then they went to 10 million. This growth was in four years. And one of the things we did is we looked at the customer service department and we started training them on communication skills, as well as process about passing certain things back to the sales channel, which they should have been doing anyways, but they just didn't know to do. And we put compensation in for them, just like they were salespeople, in order to incent them to actually do the behavior. So it can happen in there. It can happen in operations, believe it or not, engineering. So you know you would not want a structural engineering company that builds, let's say, I don't know, bridges not training consistently on what is the latest, greatest material that you're supposed to put into a bridge, right? <laughs> and they haven't you know, done training. And there was a, one of my clients was a, one of the big three television stations here in the United States. And they were having a problem with their division, what would be called public broadcasting systems now. 
but their revenues were dropping. And part of the problem is they did not have training. So they these people who were in this division had been there for like 20 to 30 years. So they were doing things back in 1970, let's say, or 1980, that now we're in the 2000s. And it just technology changed. Everything changed. So as soon as they started revamping that and training them on skills, their numbers started coming up. Growth, growth, folks, is a human need. So if you don't provide growth within your company or growth opportunities within your company, people get stale and stagnant. And that's that's when companies kind of flatline. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, the way it was kind of a, the way I learned it, you know, in early in my entrepreneurial career was, you know, I used to hire people for a specific role. And then what I would find is after a period of time, even if they were sometimes performing, they would turn over. And it took me a long time to figure out why. And what it came down to was giving them opportunities for growth beyond success. They would go to a competitor. They would go to another opportunity, even a parallel or another industry with a parallel role because there was more of a career path, right? And a more opportunity to grow, not just, you know, within that certain element of what they had, you know, then been hired for, but they could expand on that. They could grow into other things. And so I think, you know, some of what you said ties into that. Obviously, people most people love to learn new things, right? If they're given an opportunity, right? Of course. Yeah. You know, so so I think that I think what you said makes total sense on the skills side. So we talked about processes. I think that goes without saying that's critically important. We talked about people, which is listen, if you you know, it's the driver of your business, right? I mean, without them, we're screwed. No matter how good the technology is, you know, it's only as good as the hand that wields it, right? And mm-hmm. then we have skills, which I'm a big skill guy. I love learning new skills, developing skills. Is there anything else you want to add about this, you know, these three things that you must get right in order to scale? I mean, anything, any other final tips you want to add? And then I'm going to ask you a couple more rapid fire questions and we'll wrap it up for today. Okay. So there's a truth, right? We got to get to the truth. So not honesty, truth. So honesty, subjective, truth is objective. You can measure objective. And so what a lot of companies think is, hey, we're being honest. We're going to assess this process. We're going to take a look at it, but they're subjective about it. And so when you're subjective about this, uh, it kind of gets, I mean, it works a little bit, but there's too many shades of gray at that point where it can get kind of foggy. But objective truth, when you're measuring and the numbers are telling you a story, the numbers in that story are accurate. That story is accurate. And you'll know exactly what to affect at that point versus just saying, well, I think if we did this, this would probably work. You know, I've seen companies many times, you know, I think we should put this marketing play in play and they'll go spend, you know, $50,000 on a marketing play and they'll go, oh, that didn't work. Why? They never got truthful about what was there in the beginning. They never assessed that and worked through the objective truth. Gotcha. So part of that assessment, I'm assuming is part of what you do and part of what every company needs to do before they even worry about these three different components, right? So, I mean, you need to come in and really get honest with where you are today compared to where you want to be 12, 18, 24 months from now. Without question, you want to get truthful about it, right? So you, yeah. you, you have to, because the thing is, is a lot of companies, and this is, you know, and I've made this mistake too, you know, in my companies, right? We get an idea because every idea is great. We're going to make you know millions of dollars off this one idea, or tens of millions, or whatever it's going to be. And uh, the reality is, you know, we didn't do this. We didn't look at where we are, where we want to go, and the truth in between. 
And, uh, you know, we invested, you know, the last time I did it, it cost me almost uh, $400,000 in lost revenue. So it's not like I'm speaking, you know, down to people. I've done this myself. It's just the way to do it. And I've worked with some huge companies and this is the way that most of them do it, the ones that are successful. Perfect. Well, listen, that's why you're here today. Appreciate you sharing all your experience. Two rapid fire questions, and then we're going to wrap it up. What's your favorite growth tool or software app, something that you use in your business, some sort of tool that you use in your business that helps you grow? Pipe drive. Pipe drive, CRM. Love it. Yep. I've used Pipe Drive for years. It's great. One of my right. one of my favorites. Love it. And what would be one book that you would recommend to the audience? Maybe something that you've read or something you would you think might help them on their journey. Not your book, although you can always <laughs> plug that at the end. Another okay. book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm laughing because I was pulling my book out at that moment. <laughs> so I think one of the greatest books I've ever read that most people don't probably know exists is something called Value Based Fees. Now, this was written for, well, there's also one called Millionaire Maverick. So those two, they're both by the same author. His name is Alan Weiss. Alan has written over 65 books for, for the consulting industry. But selling on value is so key into getting higher profitability. And a lot of people don't know how to do it. So I would say value-based fees or Maverick, you know, that would be the other book by him. There's a lot of gems of wisdom in those books. I reread them all the time. In fact, I have it, value-based fees right here by my desk. Now, those would be the two I'd recommend. Perfect. Now you can plug your book <laughs> and let everybody know how they can connect with you, maybe get a copy <laughs> of your book, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Sure. So I have a book that I actually wrote. I've written several of them. This one I published, actually, which to my surprise became an international bestseller in the first few months. It's called Win-Win Selling. I'm very happy about it. It's about it's really about communication. I, you know, the tagline is unlocking your power of profitability by resolving objections. And I went into in depth on the psychology and the philosophy, why objections form, how they form. A lot of people don't realize these form at very early age and they're taught by our people that we love, you know, mom, dad, preacher, teacher, father, grandfather, all of this. And how you can deconstruct an objection in a win-win fashion instead of trying to crush it or being you know, concerned about it, how you can have communication to help this person because all objections are in fear, based in fear. So how you can help them move from fear into, let's just call it faith, right? But doing it in a way that you win and they win and nobody feels bad. Love it. How can they get a copy of that? They can go if they want a free copy, actually, for your audience, Dennis, a free copy. They just pay shipping. It's at winwinsellingbook.com. And, you know, they can always go to Amazon, just type in Win Win Selling by Doug C. Brown. That'll bring it up as well. If they go to winwinselling.com, I also included a free course on uh, objections. So they'll get that with the book. Love it. Listen, I appreciate you being here. Congrats on all your success. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Dennis. It's been a really great pleasure for me to be here. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.